he's home with his bride. And so, Lord willing, he will be with us on Sunday. And so, um, we will break from our study in the book of Psalms tonight. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians. And we are going to look at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. And also, I'd like to welcome those that are on Facebook. Glad you can join us tonight. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Right there. Let us pray. Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we, we do come, Lord, with grateful hearts, filled with gratitude, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your great love that you have for us, Lord, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, we come tonight, Lord, to hear from you, Father. We come to worship you, Father, as we just worshiped you in, in song. And now, God, we come to you to worship you through the study of your word, Father. And so we ask, Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts, Lord. We know, God, that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. And so we do pray, God, that it would, Father, penetrate our hearts and do that work in each one of us, Lord, that is needed, Lord, that you know that is needed, Father. Pray that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, Lord. And that, God, as we leave here tonight, Father, that we wouldn't be the same person that we came in as, Father. But, Lord, we would be more like Jesus. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts. We thank you now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, 1 Thessalonians, and the Lord put this book upon my heart because I'm, I'm intrigued by the Thessalonian church. Of course, uh, if you were to read in Acts chapter 15, where Paul and, of course, Silvanus and Timothy were in Thessalonica, and it, the Dr. Uh, Luke tells us that Paul, as was his custom, went into, the, went into the synagogue to teach, as was his custom, and he began to share with them, it says, let me, uh, let me go there. In Acts 17, it says, now when they had passed through Amph Amphipolis and Apolli Apollon Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, 
explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. And so as, as was Paul's custom, he went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them for three Sabbaths, which means Paul was there in that city for at least three weeks. And most believe he was there maybe four to five weeks. And so as we read in 1 Thessalonians, this church, having been planted for only three, four, maybe five weeks, what Paul has to say about them is pretty miraculous as you read it. Um, they, their maturity in the Lord is you would think that they had been walking with the Lord for a while. But, and yet we see that the church had only been planted for three weeks, three Sabbaths that Paul was uh, speaking in the, in, the, uh, in the synagogue. And so that's what intrigues me about this, about this church. There's some people when they come to the Lord, instantly, instantly they are changed. They are just given over to the Lord. All the sin that they were carrying, all the sin that they were involved in, is gone. Maybe drugs or pornography or whatever it is, instantly it's gone and they are just com uh, completely changed instantly. And then there's some people that it takes a while. It takes a while for them to change, if you will. And some, they struggle really hard. They attend church, they attend Bible studies, and yet still they're struggling with the sin that has so, uh, has them bound in. And so I can't explain that. I don't know why that happens, where some people are just instantly delivered from the sin that they're uh, involved in, and then others struggle for a long time with the sin that they are involved in. But we do know one thing, whether it's, whether they are delivered instantly or whether it takes a while, it is all in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God working through those people. It is the Holy Spirit working in those people as they draw close to, close to the Lord through the study of his word, through fellowship and um, through prayer. And those, and those types of things where God eventually will deliver that person. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that a person is delivered, whether it's instantly or whether it takes a while. Uh, this church here in Thessalonica, apparently they were, they were delivered instantly from the sin that they were involved in. We'll see in a, in a little bit that most of it was idol worship. And so... That's what intrigues me about this church in Thessalonica. Just a little background about the church. Paul founded the church in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. Uh, Thessalonica was the second largest city in the area. Only Philippi, which was 100 miles to the east, was larger. Thessalonica was built by Cassander in 315 BC 
near the site of an ancient city called Therma, named for the hot springs in the area. He chose this place for its excellent location and named it after his wife, Thessalonica, who was a half-sister of Alexander the Great. Cassander was a Greek general under Alexander the Great. And so just some uh, interesting background on the church. Thessalonica became the capital of Macedonia in 168 BC. It was a hub of commercial activity because the Ignatian Way, the main Roman road from Rome to the Orient via Byzantium or modern Istanbul passed through the city. So we have this main road that the Romans built that passed through the city and so there was a lot of traffic that went through the city. The population in Paul's day was about 200,000 people. So it was a nice sized city. Most of the inhabitants were native Greeks, but many Romans also lived there. Uh, Orientals and Jews likewise populated the city. The Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica was influential and many Greek proselytes were present when Paul preached there. The pagan Greek religion of the largest segment of the population produced many forms of immorality. And so there was all types of sin that they were dealing with in the city. You could imagine a, being a port city where many people would pass through there. What do people bring? They bring their sin right along with them. And so no doubt there was a lot of immorality that was going on in the city, and that's what this church had to deal with and had to repent of and had to turn from and turn to the Lord. Uh, conservative scholars date 1 Thessalonians between A.D. 50 and 54. This would make the epistle one of Paul's earliest inspired writings, probably his second after Galatians. I don't know about you guys, but I love this kind of information. <laughs> um, it just kind of helps me set my mind to what I'm reading, to understand why or what is written, why it was written, and who it was written to, and what, what they were going through as Paul wrote these, these letters to them. So Paul, Paul gives several reasons for writing this epistle. Number one, he wanted to commend the church for their faith and works. And we see that in chapter one, verses two through 10, that's what we'll be looking at tonight, chapter one, where Paul commends the church for their faith and works. But number two, Paul wrote this letter to defend himself against charges that his ministry was only for profit. Can you imagine that? They were accusing Paul of trying to profit off of the ministry that he was involved in. And so we see that today where there are many uh, ministries, quote unquote, that for the most part, you can see that they are in it for the profit. 
They are in it to enrich themselves. And so, uh, but here Paul, we see, was, was uh, accused of being in the ministry for profit, and so he defended himself against that, and uh, Silas and Timothy as well. Number three, the third reason he wrote the epistle, he encouraged the new church to stand against persecution. And we know that there was uh, much persecution going on in these cities. In the early church, as we go through the book of Acts with Pastor Randy, uh, the, the church would begin to get planted, begin to have a following, begin to have an impact upon the, the community that they were in. And so what would happen is that persecution would come upon them. And so what would they do? They would scatter. They would leave. And so as they left, what did they do? They went and they shared the gospel in the new place where they were at. And so we see that the gospel continuously spread because of persecution, because the believers would have to leave. And then as they left, they would go and share the gospel in the new places that they were at. And so um, God used it. God used the persecution to spread the gospel. And we see that in the book of Acts. And we see that here with these believers as well. The fourth reason is he answered the question about what happens to believers who die before the second coming of Jesus. And we see that in chapter 4 through chapter 5, or 4.13 through uh, 5.11. And so Paul answers that question as they were concerned about their loved ones that had died before Jesus returned. And so Paul assured them that um, we would meet them in the air. And so that they did not perish, but they just were there before us, before those that were alive. And then lastly, the fifth reason he wrote this letter was he dealt with problems in the church. And so um, although this, he had good things to say about this church, yet they still had problems. Why? Because you put a bunch of sinners together, and what are you going to have? You're going to have problems. <laughs> and so Paul dealt with those problems and tried to uh, encourage them and to give them leadership and to straighten out those problems. So let's get into the chapter here. And what we want to see is how Paul commended the church. And re uh, remember that this church, Paul had only been with them for three weeks. He taught in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. So uh, they were with the church maybe three, four, five weeks at the most. And so, um, but yet he had great things to say about them. So, verse 1 of chapter 1, we see the greeting. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see the, the greeting that it is from Paul, and Paul mentions Silvanus and Timothy. Of course, Silvanus 
is the Latin name for Silas, and we see Silas in the book of Acts. He was a prophet of the Jerusalem church, delegated to accompany Paul and Barnabas to Antioch to deliver the decision of the Jerusalem council, and we see that in Acts chapter 15. And so the, uh, he was highly respected, this Silvanus, Silas, was highly respected within the church. And so he was um, selected to deliver the decision of the Jerusalem council. Silas was also chosen by Paul to be his associate on his second missionary journey. And so Paul thought highly of Silas as well, or Silvanus. Thought, he thought highly of him as well to choose him to go on a missionary journey with Paul. Um, I don't know how many here have been on a missionary journey or a missionary trip, but um, if you ever have an opportunity to go on a missionary trip, I highly encourage you to do so. They are amazing. They are a blessing. Um, the people that you go to serve, I used to think that they would not receive us because here we are coming from the United States, rich country, right? And we're going to uh, a poor country and they would look down upon us as, you know, the rich, rich people coming to do whatever. Um, not the case, not the case. When you go to a, to, on a missionary trip, people are appreciative of it. They are thankful that you came. One thing that I, uh, that I learned or that I saw is that they are very hospitable. They welcome you into their home. Their home may just be four walls, a dirt floor with uh, crates for furniture, maybe a chair. But yet, they welcome you in their home, and they offer you whatever they have. That, that was the experience that, that I had as we went out, that I was privileged to uh, experience. And so, we see that Silas was chosen by Paul to be his associate on his second missionary journey. Also, we see Timothy. Now, Timothy, of course, we all know about Timothy. He is the recipient of First and Second Timothy. Uh, he was the son of a Greek father and a devout Jewish mother and grandmother. At this time, when this was written, he was a relative newcomer to the Christian mission field. Paul and Silas chose him to join them in their ministry about a year earlier in Lystra, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. And so Paul uh, not only chose Silas, but they also chose Timothy as well to be part of their missionary team. What a missionary team. I would have loved to have been part of that missionary team, <laughs> to be out where, where Paul is preaching, where Silvanus, where Silas is preaching. Uh, we can read about Silas in, in Acts chapter 15, and uh, 
in Acts 15, he's called a prophet. And so no doubt he had the, pro uh, he had the gift of teaching. He had the gift of prophecy, the gift of speaking forth the word of God with power, as we're going to see in these next verses. And so we see Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this letter is um, written to the church of the Thessalonians. Then it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we recognize this um, salutation, if you will, grace to you and peace. Grace is always before peace. If you read Paul's letters, he always mentions grace and then peace. Of course, you cannot have peace if you do not have the grace of God because God's favor is the reason for our peace. We can have the peace of God because we have God's favor upon our life. And so Paul always greets, his greetings are always grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this grace and this peace from our Father and also from our Lord Jesus Christ. And now in verses 2 through 10, we have Paul's commendation for the church. In verse 2, we see that the church, being a new church, being a very young church, they were a source of blessing, a source of blessing. Look at verse 2 with me, if you would. We give thanks to God always for you, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And so Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, because when Paul says we give thanks, he's speaking for all three of them, for Silvanus and Timothy and for himself as well. And he says, we give thanks to God always for you all. And so they were a source of blessing. Rather than being a source of grief, they evoked gratitude for Paul. And that's, that's, that's a blessing, that the one that is discipling you would be able to give thanks for you, that you are not, we are not, being a burden upon the one that is discipling us. And that's what Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were able to do. They were able to give thanks for the church in Thessalonica. They were not a source of grief. Secondly, we see that they were Paul's, Silas's, and Timothy's spiritual children. And so as their spiritual children, they were able to give thanks. It reminded me of, of what John said in his, uh, in third John, in his third letter, verse four. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so as their pastor, John, speaking about 
his those that were under his under his ministry, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, speaking about those that are under their ministry, they were able to give thanks for them. They were a blessing to them. They evoked gratitude, reminding me of Pastor Randy. I have no doubt that Pastor Randy is blessed to see us doing well. As we sit under his teaching and as he sees us doing well, no doubt that that is a source of blessing to him. And so that would evoke gratitude as our pastor, as our shepherd, as he, if he sees us doing well, as he sees us growing in the word, as he see, sees us maturing as the Thessalon Thessalonians were doing, maturing in their faith, that causes them to give thanks. That, I believe that that encourages them, the shepherds. It strengthens them. It affirms and confirms that God is working through them and that God is working through them to touch other people, to touch other lives. And that's why they're in the ministry, to be, to be used by God, to touch other lives, to encourage other believers. And so no doubt, as Paul saw the Thessalonians, and Sylvanus and Timothy saw them as a blessing, I have no doubt that Pastor Randy sees, uh, is blessed as well as he sees us doing well as well and growing and maturing in our faith. We see next in verses three through four, Paul mentions three characteristics that stood out to them. And as we, as we see these three characteristics of these believers, remembering that they are young in the faith. And yet, they were grounded in the faith as well. And so verse 3 says, Paul says, remembering without ceasing, after he talked about giving thanks for them and making mention of them in their prayers, he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. And so the first thing we see that Paul commends them about is their work of faith. The faith of the believers produced true repentance. True repentance. Of course, we talked about how in the city there was immorality uh, running rampant within the city a main city that many people went to go visit, and so with the people came many sins. And yet, Paul commends them for their work of faith. Notice he doesn't say work for faith. He says their work of faith. And so um, in verse 9, we get a glimpse of their faith of their work of faith in verse 9. Look with me at verse 9. 
Um, actually, verse 9b, Paul says, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so we see that there was true repentance with these believers. They were worshiping idols. They were worshiping idols. Now, they could have had a statue there. Most, more than likely, they did. And they were worshiping, the, uh, worshiping these idols. As I was going to work this morning, um, Tony Evans, I was listening to Tony Evans this morning, and he had a great definition for idol worship or for an idol. I don't know if anyone heard that this morning, but um, this is the definition that he had for a idol. He said, an idol is any noun, a person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source to meet your needs. That's what an idol is. An idol is any noun, person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source to meet your needs. And so no doubt, as they were worshiping these idols, they were looking to these idols to meet their needs. Many, many religions, many cults, they have idols for the weather. They have idols for fertility. They have idols for, you name it. Whatever your need is, there's an idol for it. And so that is what they are looking to, to meet their need. We as well can have an idol in our lives. We can be our own idol. We can put ourselves as an idol as we look to ourselves. And I think, I think this is going on in our country and in the world today. Uh, where we look to ourselves to provide for ourselves, to meet our needs. Well, I'm going to look to myself to meet my need. Instead of looking to the Lord, instead of calling upon the Lord and asking him to meet our needs, we look to ourselves to meet our needs. And so, therefore, we can become our own idol. But whatever it is, um, alcohol can be an idol. Of course, the Bible says to not be a drunkard, but that need for peace, that need for comfort, drugs. Many people, they go to drugs to fill the need. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's just pressure. And so they turn to drugs or alcohol. Anything can be an idol, even today, if we look to it as our source to meet our needs. Well, the Thessalonians, their work of faith produced true repentance. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The second characteristic that Paul mentions about these believers is their labor of love.
He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and then your labor of love. Their love for Jesus resulted in serving him. Of course, we just read this, this part, uh, verse 9. They turned to God from idols, and they turned from those idols to serve the living and true God. And not only did they turn from those idols to serve the living and true God, they did this even through persecution. Look with me at verse 6. Paul says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And so they were able to serve the Lord, to turn from their idols and serve the Lord even through persecution. That's maturity. That's maturity in the Lord. There's many people, even today, there's many people that when you begin to serve the Lord, when you begin to walk with the Lord, of course, the enemy is going to try, try and do anything he can to cause you to stumble. Anything he can so that you're not serving the Lord. And it is those times where many people fall away, where many people Stop serving the Lord. Um, I can remember as a young Christian where we began to serve the Lord. And when things got tough, when the, when the spiritual battle began, we would stop. And we went back and forth with that, back and forth with that. And so these believers here, they were able to continue serving the Lord they, they were able to exercise labor of love even, or as Paul put it, in much affliction. And not only were they able to, to serve the Lord in much affliction, but with joy of the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love that. With joy of the Holy Spirit. Because happiness is based on what's happening, right? If things are going bad, if things are happening that aren't good, well, you're not going to be very happy, <laughs> right? If things are going great, probably going to be happy. But joy of the Lord is contentment in the Lord, right? It's contentment in the Lord. And the joy of the Lord says, no matter what is happening, I am going to be able to rejoice in my Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in my Lord Jesus Christ. I am going to be able to continue to serve him. I am going to be able to continue walking with him, being a example, being a good testimony, no matter what is going on because of the joy of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living inside of us and causing us to, to rest in the finished work of Christ, in the finished work of, of his work on the cross. 
depending upon the blood of Jesus, just being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's the joy of the Lord. And that these believers were able to serve God, to serve, what does he say here? To serve the living and true God with, uh, with, through much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. This word labor involves strenuous effort to the point of fatigue. And so they were, they were laboring to the point of fatigue with love. They went the extra mile. They made sure that they were loving whomever that God had brought to them. And they were showing the love of Christ. What a great example for us. Here they are, just, let's just call it a month in the Lord. And they, they, are, they are exhibiting characteristics that Christians took years to establish, years to learn, years to start um, doing. Yet these young Christians were able to begin to walk in the Lord and imitate Christ or imitate Paul just as Paul imitated Christ. And so he, he mentions their work of faith. He mentions their labor of love. And then finally, he mentions their patience of hope. Look with me at verse 3 again. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. It's patience of hope. They had endurance. Literally, it means a bearing up patiently under a heavy load. Bearing up patiently under a heavy load. So because of this persecution, it was a heavy load. And yet they were able to have this patience of hope. What was their patience of hope in? What was their hope in? Verse 10. Amen. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They looked forward to the coming of Jesus. And so, and they were able to establish this patience as they waited for him, this hope that they had that they knew what Paul had taught them about the coming, that Jesus was going to return, they believed it, and they held on to it, and they had this hope. I've heard it said that hope is, is only as good as what your hope is in. It's only as good as what your hope is in. If our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have a sure hope a sure hope, a hope that, that it's not 
where, oh, gee, I, I hope it happens. I'm sure looking, I, I sure hope it does happen. No, no, no. Our hope is we know it's going to happen, and I'm just waiting for it to happen. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen next, next month. But one thing I do know, I know that it's going to happen. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back. Now, whether I die and I leave this body and I go be with him, I have that hope. Or the rapture takes place and I meet him in the air with all the other believers that have gone on before us, I have that hope. But one thing I do know is that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and me and us going to be with him is for sure. We can take it to the bank. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's going to happen. And because we know that it's gonna, going to happen, we can wait patiently for it. You know, Paul talked about wanting to go and be with the Lord, which he considered which was far better. And, and is it not? <laughs> you think about it, where we receive our new bodies, where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, yeah, far better. But Paul said that it was better that he remained here so that he can continue to share the gospel with those that were unsaved. And that is for us as well. It's better for us to depart and leave these bodies and go be with Christ. But there's many people that are here on this earth in our community, within our sphere of influence, that need Christ, that need to hear the gospel, that need to see the gospel. And they need to hear and know that God loves them. And so that's why we're still here, because our work is not finished. And when our work is finished, we will go home to be with the Lord. But until then, we continue to work. And so these believers, they waited patiently for Jesus, the Son from heaven. Paul mentions, whom he raised from the dead, the resurrection. You look in the book of Acts, the resurrection is always mentioned. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It could be speaking about the, um, the uh, rebel. Uh, the tribulation period where we believe that the Bible teaches that we will not go through the tribulation. Of course, the tribulation period is God's wrath being poured out. And so therefore, because we are in Christ, we do not uh, go through the wrath of God. As Paul mentions here, he delivers us from the wrath to come. And so whether it's through the tribulation or through the wrath of, of being separated from God, either way, we have been delivered from it. This is what Paul encouraged these believers. This is what, this is what these believers believed in. 
And so therefore, because they believed in this, because they were able to hold on to this truth, they were able to wait patiently for the Lord. And so Paul commended them for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Lastly, as I mentioned earlier, that this church was a young church, young in the Lord, and yet very mature spiritually. They became examples to all. Look with me at verse 4 through 8. In verse 4, he mentions, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And I just wanted to mention that because this, the doctrine of election or free will has been going on since, since the beginning of the church, right? And, and there's some that believe, well, you don't have a free will. God chooses who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. And then there's others that, well, God, God, chooses but yet you have a free will as well that's what the bible teaches right teaches both it teaches that god has chosen us from the foundation of the world and yet it also teaches that we have a free will but it's interesting i just wanted to mention this that being a young congregation paul mentions their election by god he was comfortable enough to uh, to mention that to them, he, he saw them as mature enough to handle it. Verse 5 says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. And so Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy set the example for these, for these believers. And what a blessing it is to have um, someone that disciples you, someone that you're sitting under, and they set a good example for you, a godly example, one that you can look to and learn from. And actually see Christ in them. As you read the scriptures, you look at their life and you say, yeah, that's a godly man. That's a godly woman. And begin to learn from them. Well, this is what uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy did for these uh, believers in Thessalonica. And he says that their gospel did not come to them in word only, but in power. The true gospel can only come in power. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He mentions that the gospel did not only came in power, but it came in the Holy Spirit as well. As the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and uses it to bring correction, to bring conviction, 
to bring um, direction, to expose sin, and even to confirm. And so the Holy Spirit is working in all of those ways through the gospel. And so Paul says that the gospel, their gospel, was not only in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And so they were able to count on the fact that what Paul and Silvanus and Timothy were sharing with them was true. And so he, he mentions that the gospel came in power in the Holy Spirit and much assurance. In verse 7, we see that the Thessalonians became examples to other believers. Look with me at verse 7. He mentions that in verse 6 that they became followers of, of them and of the Lord. They received the word in much affliction. He mentions the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. They became examples to the other believers that they came in contact with of what a believer is supposed to look like, what a believer is supposed to act like, what a believer is supposed to speak like, right? I find it interesting that there's many Christians that will profess Christ and they'll say great things and then the next thing out of their mouth is curse words. And I think, oh. <laughs> there goes that. <laughs> There's unbelievers around, right? And they're, they're praising the Lord. They're exalting the Lord. And then they're cursing. And to me, that just... It, it diminishes the, what they just said. It takes away from the witness. But not these believers. They became examples to the other believers. They became examples to the other believers in faith, as we saw their work of faith. Examples of love, their labor of love and of hope, their patience of hope. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Many times we think that we are deceiving others, that we are tricking others. But James tells us that if we're just hearers only, the only one that we're deceiving is ourselves. Not the Lord and not other people as well because they can see right through it. So James tells us that we are deceiving ourselves. So they became examples to the other believers. Also, they not only lived the gospel, they shared the gospel as well. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. For from you, the word of the Lord 
has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to... <laughs> take my glasses off, I can't see it. So that we do not need to say anything. Paul and Silas and Timothy did not have to defend these believers. Everyone knew. Everyone could see it. Everyone could hear it. Not only were they able to see their faith, but they were sharing the gospel as well. This word sounded forth is like a trumpet or thunder. It's the reverberation of what they were saying, of what they were speaking. They were reverberating the gospel, what Paul had taught them, what Paul had shared with them. And now they received, and then they went out, and they shared with others. Um, as believers, I don't know, with Christ living in us, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't but help to share the gospel, to, to share the good news with other people. Do you find yourself in that situation where you just cannot help but to tell somebody that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that their sins can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus, through his finished work upon the cross. This is what these believers did. This is what how they were. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 says, For if I preach the gospel, Paul says, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You find that true for yourself? Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. When he says preach, you know, you're not standing up behind your, your desk or whatever at work and begin to preach as you're standing behind a pulpit, but just sharing the gospel, just preaching the word, sharing the word. Do you, do, you, do you sense that within your own heart, within your own spirit? Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, if I do not tell someone God loves them. Woe is me. This is what these believers were. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, reverberated like a trumpet, like a thunder, the word of God went forth through these believers in every place. Amazing, these young believers, these young Christians, but spiritually mature. What a great example for us. These believers exemplified faith. They exemplified exemplified love, hope, endurance, the importance of a good testimony, and they always preach the word. Those are the examples that they set for us. Let us be found 
doing the same by our Lord. When we meet, when we find ourselves face to face with him, let us find ourselves doing the same when we meet him face to face. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this example of these young believers, Lord, and yet in a place, God, where they were being persecuted, they were being challenged, they were being tempted, and yet, Father, they were grounded. They were grounded in you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for their example. And as a church, Lord, that is our prayer, that God, that the word of the Lord would sound forth from here, as we know it is, God. But that, Lord, we would be known as a church, God, that is, is laboring in love, that our faith, Lord, would be known, that our hope in you, God, would be known, that we are known as those that are waiting patiently for you, God. And so, Lord, we thank you tonight, Father. Do that work in each one of us, Lord, as only you can. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to um, prepare our hearts for communion now. We could have the worship team come up and